Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On Commons People this week. Somewhere between 17 and 20 billion. The cost of MaxFat is revealed. The question is, she she is a Labour candidate. Yes. She supports the Labour Party position. No, she doesn't. Which, she supports staying in ha- the single market. Labour's Lewishamese candidate causes trouble before she's even been elected. And as Julia Skripal gives her first interview since being poisoned, we see how Salisbury is coping two months on. All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast. With me, Owen Bennett, and this week I'm joined by Mr. Paul Wall. Hello, Paul. Hello, Owen. And no one else, uh, <laughs> because people are off and ill. And yeah, Ned's, Ned's ill. Ill. Ned's been, Ned's been Ill, Ill, Ill this morning. Yeah, this ve- he was ready to go, wasn't he? He was. Uh, so Ned's the mic here. was snatched away from his uh, grasp. Yeah, as he was about to puke. So get well soon, Ned. I know you're listening. And the other two are off doing other stuff. Yeah, things. So you're stuck with us two listeners. <laughs> but it's going to be fun. Yeah, let's crack on. Let's talk about um, the cost of Brexit. We've got a bit of a clue this week, thanks to uh, the head of Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, John Thompson, who appeared before the Treasury Select Committee. And he was asked to estimate how much Max FAC, which is uh, the Brexiteer's preferred option for customs after Brexit, how much that would cost businesses. Let's have a listen. You then got the question about what might be the requirements from the European Union on rules of origin? Yeah. Or, you know, is this cheese from cheddar? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and so on. Now, it's quite difficult to estimate that, but it would be reasonable to think that it's several billion pounds more. So I think you, you need to think about the highly streamlined customs arrangement uh, costing businesses somewhere in the late teens of billions of pounds. To I've started to lose count opera. now at the number of billions. <laughs> but, you know, so, so if somewhere between 17 and 20 billion. What I love in that clip, Paul, is he sounds like every sort of car mechanic or builder. Well, I mean, it's going to cost you six billion. Six, but then you've got the other side. I mean, going to round it up there. But I'll do you a deal. I'll do you for 17. Yeah. In the late teens, yeah, it, didn't late, he? I mean, it was, a, it was a shock, right? Because it was the first time someone had actually said publicly, this is how much it's going to cost. And also... It's going to take three to five years. And guess what? We're leaving in like 21 months. Exactly. And that's why I thought it was so refreshing. You had a civil servant who actually, it was no bullshit sort of presentation. Look, this is, I've done, we've done the figures. Of course we've done the figures. You know, we'd be stupid not to do the figures. We've asked, it's our job to work out what income we're going to lose. So they've run out the scenarios and, and they've done it quite professionally, it looks like. And what was striking was it wasn't just the max fact calculation. It was the rival calculation as well. Uh, and three point, very specific, three point four billion is how much it will cost businesses to go for the customs partnership, which Theresa May is supposed to favour, rather than the Brexiteers. That's a very specific figure, but it's much lower than the seventeen to twenty billion of the, the Max Fac solution. And I thought, well, if you can be that specific in the HMRC, mm. why can't you be that specific in the Treasury? Why can't you be that specific in every other department? Um, and 
Andrea Ledsam in the Commons only only on Thursday morning suggested actually well we welcome this report she was asked about it it's a very top level report but we're still waiting our own internal calculations so it was more of a well let's wait and see what the rest of Whitehall thinks and this is what David Gork Justice Secretary said on the Today programme on Thursday morning oh it's speculation but he didn't shoot the number down he didn't say that's what our analysis tells us but it's not speculation it's the HMRC's figure and I was speaking to some of the Tory MPs who were called in for those meetings in Downing Street um, last Monday and they looked shocked at this figure. I don't think this figure was presented to them when they were given this information. I mean, one of them was very, you know, seen in ERG was was basically saying, looking really worried. The, the colour had almost drained from their face when they confronted this because they knew this is now a much harder sell to the public. If one of the reasons, you know, if you're of the Brexiteer wing where you don't think it's about immigration at all because it's terrible, it's all about free trade and stuff and all about good for business, but guess what, we're going to lumber you with £20 billion extra. That does undermine you somewhat, doesn't it? Yeah, but don't forget, obviously, in the grand scheme of things, a lot of Brexiteers are thinking, look, people just want to get out. Their voters want to get out and then once we're out, let's sort these problems out. So they think they can still get over the hump of next, next March, get through that and then sort of reassure people, look, there's loads fingers banging around but we're going to try and keep it as low as possible this is why this is difficult for them because they're saying this you'd have to say to the voters look someone independent has said actually it's going to be several times worse for business the brexiteers might say all right well business has to sort of maybe stump up but the ordinary individual should see a benefit you know they'll see a brexit dividend maybe business will have to pay more they're gonna have to explain how those businesses to be honest may well then pass those costs on to the onto the punter i mean would there be a case the tories might be saying okay we need to cut corporation tax even more we need to somehow give businesses maybe make a difference for small and medium-sized businesses who are going to end up paying the most in this because they're the ones that are going to have to yeah and don't around forget the the, the, if you're a brexiteer you say actually this is a gross figure think about the net figure overall the savings to business of leaving european regulation they'll push that really hard the set the fact that you could get new business outside the eu sort of you know tentacles in china in america and other markets and they'll say well business has this great opportunity as well which should be factored into all these this cost benefit analysis that's what they'll say and actually of course this 20 billion is only going to be for my businesses exporting to the eu and a lot of the the, the sort of thing that they, a lot of these Brexiteers say is, you know, 100% of businesses have to apply by, by, by EU rules, even when it's only like 7 or 8% which actually export. So actually, you know, on the, on, the, on the round, if you look at it, businesses are still going to be better off. That's going to be their argument. Right? That will but, be their argument. But it's a tough sell when it you tell it to, you know. It's a hard sell when you've got these figures, you know, in black and white. Yeah. Um, but there is talk about maybe the, the, cost, the transition period is going to be extended because... We don't. I mean, what I love was really funny was that the, for ages the uh, the prime minister spokesman would never call it a transition period. Yeah. It was an implementation, implementation period. period. But they've yet to know what they're implementing or what they're transitioning to. They've gone in for this exchange. They haven't decided what they want to come out looking like. Is that a fair? True. Way? I think exactly. That's, well, yeah. So what well, they, they know roughly what they want <laughs> well, to come out. But, but the point is, uh, what they're going to transition to? They don't know, do they? They don't. Not so quite you need, yet. We're going to need a longer one. We're going to need a longer transition period, surely. I suspect that that's the big debate that's going to go on. How long will that extra time be? So, you know, it's like they think um, they're ahead, basically, on away goals in a football match and the extra times come at the end and they just want to extend the extra time, 102 minutes, 109 minutes, 111 minutes. How long is that going to go on before they finally get their victory? Um, I don't know, really. The, some Brexiteers are actually quite flexible and say, look, 
Once we're out, the whole scenario will change. The country will be relieved we're out. We'll then have to gradually persuade people what out really means and what it will look like. And it might be 2022 at the latest. It might even some bits we can handle could be unresolved till 2025. But at least most of it, we will know where we are. The question is, you know, which bits are going to be long and which bits are going to be in the short game? I and this goes back to, to the, one of the some of the Brexit legislation going through the House with these Henry VIII powers, these these clauses, which were there wasn't ever specified what the end date was because these clauses would only last for a certain amount of time after the end date, and they were going to put end dates on different things. Yeah. So the Henry VIII powers would last longer. And now you can see why they wanted to do that a little bit because yeah. there is going to be this staggered. But tradition. don't forget the other key date to remember is twenty twenty two when there's a general election. Yeah. That's the date in, you know imprinted on every MP's brain right now. And some Brexiteers think actually it's quite a good thing if some of these things go beyond that because you'll need to vote for a Tory party to keep the government honest. And Jeremy Corbyn, if you keep these things unresolved and Jeremy Corbyn comes in, then, you know, um, we've got a really good stick to beat the opposition with. Uh, And so... But could UKIP come back or a UKIP type party come back and say, look, they betrayed us. It's now. I think that ship has sailed. I really think. Do you not, not, maybe not you can sell, but do you not think there's a, there's a, there's going to be a space for a right wing, a, a far right party? I, almost? I just think no? we've had that shift. I think people aren't going to go back to that. I really don't. I think their battles will be within Labour and within Tories. The one thing that is is a possibility is a new party in the centre. Uh, Do you think so? I think it's. Po- I only said possibility, not probability. It's a possibility. Gets me excited because if some of this, if Labour still doesn't have a, a pretty clear um, Brexit policy which ab- appeals to Remainers. Um, I don't think the Lib Dems are yet in a position, or, or, or again, it will take too many years for them to come back as, as, as the main sort of challenges to Labour and the Tories. So if there is a new Labour sort of alternative in the middle, and I use new Labour advisedly, that if, believes in capitalism... Small N in the beginning new, not Exactly. Capitalism, believes yeah. in capitalism, yeah. believes in, in Europe... Um, and they launch sort of eight months before a general election in 2022, and they have a narrow window in which to really make an impact, or, or even less than that, like Macron. Don't forget, Macron started really, really short period of time before he won. Who do you think? Um, do you think Chuck would be up for that? Because I've asked Chuck in a couple of times. He's always denied it. No one is going to say all, it on the record. Exactly, but right now. he's always denied it with a slight. I just feel there's a tiny little caveat in None there. None of them are going to say it on the record for no. obvious reasons because he'd instantly be kicked of course. out. But. Um, I, th- I mean, some of the MPs are talking privately about playing that game. Well, that moves us on nicely um, to Lewis Shamist and moderate candidate. I say moderate there with quotes around it. So no one starts <laughs> sending me the text. Moderate candidate Janet Davey has won the hard fought Labour Party selection contest for the Lewisham East by election. Davey beat her momentum backed rival Sakina Sheikh in the final ballot by 288 votes to 135. NEC member and Unite backed Claudia Webb secured just 35 votes. Uh, Lewis Shamis had a majority of 21,000 at the last general election, but sitting MP Hardy Alexander has quit to go and work for Labour Mayor Sadiq Khan. But before Janet Davey has even won the seat or taken part in any canvassing, she was already the centre of attention on Mar this weekend when uh, standing host Emma Barnett grilled shadow international trade secretary Barry Gardner about her views on Brexit. The reason I'm asking is there is a by-election in South London next month and the candidate that the Labour Party has put forward, Janet Davies, is asking people to vote for her 
and she supports staying in the single market. Do you endorse her position? Look, um, the Labour Party has always said, right throughout this process, we've said that we recognise the benefits both of the customs union and of the single market, and we want to maintain those in a future agreement. But hang on a minute, her but first the, job but, is going to get well, to the House of yeah. Commons and vote against the front bench. No, it's, it's not if going she to, was be, to be elected. Absolutely not. It's not about voting against the front bench. Um, the front bench position is that we want to retain the benefits both of the customs union and of the single market. So there, I mean, you mentioned earlier on, Paul, this kind of schism in the Labour Party, and you're seeing it there, that a new candidate is saying, if I came to Parliament, I'll vote to keep us in the single market and the customs union, despite there not being the party policy. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? I can't think it of that. It is interesting, because obviously one of the reasons she did that was in uh, a sort of reaction to the momentum-backed candidate, Sakina Sheikh, who'd gone on Twitter to publicly declare, look, unlike Heidi Alexander, I will be loyal to the leadership and I'll be loyal to them on Brexit. And although this is a massively Remain constituency and massively Remain, even more Remain Labour Party, I will back the leadership. I won't defy the party whip, come what may. So she made a tactical decision, some may say a tactical error, there to say, actually, what matters most of all is supporting Jeremy Corbyn. So that lent her opponent, Janet, Janet Davey, to come in and say, well, actually... I'm going to stay true to what Heidi Alexander's been saying. We've got to be in the single market. It's the only honest thing. It's helpful for my constituents to be his jobs. This is the most important thing. But ultimately, I think that the thing about Louis Chamis was it wasn't really about Europe. I think that was, was used, say, that was used as yeah. a convenient sort of weapon. As for the some might say that he's on the national scale as well. Right? And it was, it was weaponized locally, no question. But what really happened there was you had a heavily... Um, organized momentum campaign versus an old school centrist type campaign and what was really fascinating is that this all happened in a very very short space of time you know the national party wanted to get a move on with this lewisham by-election you know they don't want anyone to get anywhere near that twenty-one thousand majority the lib dems have put up a candidate but no one expects them to really do that well um so time is of the essence but crucially the reason that the leadership wanted a short contest because they wanted their candidate to win now every every labor leader has done the same thing you have a short campaign if you can get your person selected sakina sheikh within one hour of the announcement being made declared a candidacy so she was first out of the traps um, she was, you know, there was a, a, a very, very well-organized social media campaign around the her. The video for her candidacy was yeah. wonderfully done. It was all yeah. momentum kind slick. of style. Yeah, very slick. Um, and you've got to say, and she, she and her supporters say, look, if we'd had more time, we could have built up that 135. Now, her, the, the opponents say, no, it just shows the limits of social media. That, And actually, this shows, some of them say, this is peak momentum. That It's as big as that. Momentum had everything. Had Owen Jones tweeting support. Had um, a whole range of grassroots uh, national people piling in. Some people were phoned 25 times in one week in that constituency right. by it's momentum. That's a GPDR email, <laughs> isn't it? And... Um, and and yet uh, Janet Davey won. Now she won because again because it was a short sharp campaign. Um, people were told to focus really on what they wanted. Do you want a really genuinely experienced local candidate? And she founded a food bank or a food charity locally, mm. and she was well respected. And a lot of people around her were non-factional. And I think that was what's really ultimately interesting is that somehow her campaign managed to be non-factional and factual at the same time. So it was saying we're definitely not momentum, but we're not necessarily aligned. Uh, progress and Labour first, these groups were, were backing.
taking her um, and helping run her. But a lot of people around her weren't like that. And crucially, she herself, although being described as right wing, voted for Jeremy Corbyn mm. twice in the leadership contest. Now, someone who votes Jeremy Corbyn in 2015 and doesn't vote yeah. for the establishment candidates, you know, Burnham, <laughs> Cooper and Kendall, then you can't you can say, well, actually, they're not they're not a Blairite on any or they're not on the right. Can I just pick you up on something? You did break the never mention Owen Jones rule. Ah. But because he failed or something, I'm going to let that slide. <laughs> that's fine. Um, the fact that um, you you said there that she managed to present herself as a non-factional candidate, even though she was clearly factional, that was that's echoes of New Labour, though, wasn't it? Because New, yeah. New Labour never came in and tried to deselect Dennis Skinner and Jeremy Corbyn. They realised, you know, big tech, that kind of stuff. So actually, this is... Is this the centre the centre of the party finally getting a bit smart again? Well, it was a very well organised campaign. I mean, Labour First, a guy called Matt Pound, um, was on the ground. You know, the people there, that the the workers on the ground, they had like four hours sleep a night. They were basically sounds like a, a lot when you got a small child, mate. I'll they, tell you, I'll they, take that. they were in a data war basically. So momentum had a lot of uh, people's phone numbers, uh, and they, the the rivals had to get together a data list really quickly, and that was half the job. That's why people worked into the night and then once they got the data then they started basically going around to people's doorsteps and saying can you vote and it showed on the day the morning of the royal wedding the morning of the FA Cup final the selection contest there's me writing about this thing on the day of the royal wedding for my sins while everyone else is enjoying themselves but I do my duty for can you I just say I think you enjoy a good sort of Labour factional battle <laughs> the same way that I enjoy a UKIP emergency general <laughs> meeting it's, it just was, something, it's, just, it's just something about it because you know all the players but what was interesting was getting all these messages Messages on your phone about oh it, it's it, she's been kicked off this candidate no she's not been kicked off and that was all it was all a bit yeah, farcical yeah, that, yeah and then, and then that happened this, on the day there's another guy who made some comments about Emily Thornberry being used well so he's the guy Ian McKenzie yeah. used to work for for uh, cabinet ministers was on the side of Janet debut one and he. Owen Jones dug up a, an old tweet he made, which was about Emily Thornberry. It was violent and, you know, some say misogynistic and sexist. Uh, and he was subsequently suspended. Now, there was a real undercurrent that people thought that was revenge for the fact that the centrists had won in that seat. Um, obviously, the, the General Secretary denies anything to do with that and says it was all on its merits. But as I say, the bigger picture from Louis Chamiste is that momentum were beaten by a well-organised centrist-run campaign. And they think there are lessons because people couldn't just vote by clicking on a computer. They had to turn up. That's a key rule in Labour Party selections. You've got to be there physically, in person. And there were 1,600 Labour Party members in Lewisham East. That's a massive increase from what there has been in the past. How many people voted? Well, 288 chose the actual winner. 135 of those 1,600 voted for the Momentum candidate. So the real question for Momentum, if a lot of those people are just staying at home, why couldn't you get them out to physically vote? Now, the interesting thing is, of course, Momentum will get them to click on NEC elections and internal party elections, which are done online and done via email. It's much easier to mobilise on that kind of thing. But when it comes to deselections, and let's be honest, this is what this whole Lewis thing was all about. Other MPs watching, ooh, Momentum going to deselect us. Can the deselect us? MPs will be breathing a sigh of relief that they think Momentum can't actually get organised to do that. So this week, Julia Skripal made her first public statement since the poisoning in March. Um, and George Bowden, hello, George. Hello. Hello, George. How are Hi. you? Hi. Uh, yeah, very well. Good to have a third person in the room today, isn't it, Paul? I know. Yeah. I know. Um, you went down to Salisbury, didn't you? Um, coincidentally, to sort of see how that place is getting on two months on and you wrote a really nice piece for us about 
very evocative, like the weeds growing over in this pub garden. Yeah, the pub garden was a bit weird. So, that, so just to describe it to people, you probably people know these locations now. You kind of are very familiar with the case. It's like a, you know, it's like a midsummer murders thriller. Yeah. So this is the Mill Pub, right in the heart of Salisbury. Um, I went on a re- recent weekday evening. It was it was beautiful, kind of weather. You can just imagine that place bustling, lots of cider being consumed, lots of kind of food, and it was dead. You know, just no one there, guarded by a police officer um the whole thing is just um cordoned off and it does look like a crime scene and of course you know it sort of is um the whole pub itself has been gutted uh there's nothing in there at all all the furniture one local told me was burned it was you know incinerated so this is the the levels that they've gone to and of course you know the media attention has moved away from salisbury but they've still got these three locations heavily guarded by police at all times um but now both uh the scripples have left hospital um, Yulia has obviously made her appearance this week um, with her scar on her on her neck, mm. which the photographs revealed. Um, and I think Salisbury itself is just trying to say to everybody, we are safe. Because you said, the shopkeeper you quoted, Susie Mason, says that, that we're open, we're safe. Yeah. But then there's others. In, was there anyone in the town you met who felt that it wasn't safe and they they were a bit sort of, oh God, is there still a bit of danger? Or did everyone feel like, no, come back, it's fine? It was very much, come back, it's fine. But also the tourists visiting for the day who couldn't help, but where did it happen? Oh, really? And they were, they were you know, going for a few uh, selfies and some pictures by, the, by the police officer. I mean, it, 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 a bit, but I feel like it was such an international story. Yeah. Um, they've probably not gone to Salisbury for that express purpose. This cathedral, the beautiful cathedral, yeah. um, uh, is the main attraction in that city. But um, yeah, the, the, quite a lot of tourist interest. And what's, um, the, what's, the, what's the origami doves about? So Michael Pendry is an artist who has installed doves across the world. And Salisbury Cathedral secured him to come in and put these this dove installation in the main, uh, the main kind of... Uh, you know, church hall. And um, the pictures are just beautiful. It really is such a beautiful installation. And what the people in the town have said is, well, if it's in the church, it's in our town. So they've spread it all the way down the high street. Every shop's got a dove in or several doves. And um, they've really, you know, grabbed hold of it as a response to the to the poisoning attack. And where are we, Paul, uh, in terms of the, the diplomatic tension between Russia and the UK. I mean, the Russian ambassador came into Parliament last week and delivered a kind of comical Ali-esque performance in which he sort of denied everything. Um, but there does seem to be the sense that with the World Cup coming up, maybe diplomatic channels need to be reopened a little bit or slightly thawed. Do you think that's happening? Or do I you think, think it's still tense? Yeah, I think they, they definitely, despite what Boris Johnson said, I think they want to, you know, see that the World Cup is a chance not to to retract anything they've said, but to slightly park it. You know, this is sport. You know, let the country get on with it. You know, just imagine if by by some miracle, you know, England progress in the World Cup, then people won't be saying, "Oh, this is awful." People are saying, "This is fantastic." <laughs> they won't be saying, "You know, oh God, we're in awful Russia for too long." They'll be saying, "Can we stay in Russia longer, please?" So, um, you know, uh, I suspect. What will happen is that hostilities will resume after the World Cup. But they are deep. There's divisions between us and, and Moscow, there's no question. However, having said all that, look at what's happening on Iran. We are trying to now work with Russia 
and Iran and Germany and France to rescue this Iranian deal mm. because Trump has opted out. And so I think that's the other real key st- geopolitical reason why actually there is a bit of rail politic going there on. Because you know, it's a game of three-dimensional chess, isn't it, international diplomacy? You know, you might disagree with them on part A, but part B you need to work really closely with them. Like you said, we've seen it with the, with the Iran deal. When you've got Donald Trump, who isn't playing three-dimensional chess, he's just playing... Checkers. Like, pinball or something. He just doesn't <laughs> know what's going on. Then you have to really... You can't be too definite in what you do, I guess. Definitely. And I think that that's... I mean, the, the other point about the, the Skripals, though, is that don't forget, um, there are some people who've said all along, including the Russians, who say, look, this was nothing to do with, with Moscow, nothing at all. Uh, if we'd done this, one of their arguments, don't forget, was if, if Putin's argument, if we'd done this, we would have done it properly. Yeah. They'd be yeah. dead. That's their argument, yeah. OK? Now, you can, you can laugh at it, but there are some people saying, well, actually, the fact that they're not dead... Maybe that proves that this was a botched operation and yeah. something else has gone on. It wasn't a professional hit job. Um, however, you can't go as far as some people online yesterday read into what Yulia Skripal's words when she said, uh, I want to go back to Russia. Basically, she said, I want to go back to Russia one day in the future. Um, and everyone's parsing her quotes like on either side of the debate. People who are saying, look, this was a Russian assassination attempt are saying, no, she's saying one day once Putin's gone, thank you very much, I'll, I might go back to Russia. Not now. But other people saying on the left, amazingly, some of the Corbyn supporting websites immediately seized on her quotes saying, no, that proves that, that, that this is all a Tory conspiracy. Because, of course, she, she, she says she wants to go back to Russia. So, of course, she, she doesn't dislike Russia. Yeah. And if you're listening, Chris Williamson, please do keep texting <laughs> in. Um, thanks so much for coming in and talking to us about that, George. There is not a quiz this week. Oh, and do you want to no. know why there's not a quiz this week, is George? Because there's just three of us. Yeah, that is one reason. Yeah. And do you want to know why? Go on. I'm throwing a tantrum. Oh, right. Okay. What? Okay, because we didn't win that award. Best podcast oh, of the yeah. year, the drum oh, award. Oh, commiseration. We lost it to some bloody that's like... That's such a lame who, who reason for not ra- doing a quiz. Radio for a worthy adoption podcast that I'm that's... sure was very worthy. We didn't yes. win. It was. It's a brilliant podcast. Is it? A br- Don't diss it. I'm not dissing it. I'm saying good, but that, you know, the winner was a really it's good. Good podcast. see the yeah, plucky right. BBC getting a break for once. No, it was well right. worth it. Valid it was, winners. It was a good night out though. The drum. You didn't go, did you? I wasn't there. I was there. I know. It we was weird. Maybe that's why you feel this more than I, I do. I do. But <laughs> what was weird about it was, um, oh, very quickly, it was kind of like if you entered, I felt like you got nominated because some of the categories had like eight people and some there was like two, and one category is only one. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they'd won they straight won. away? They'd won, yeah. But it was a really good night. Someone what said, was the category? I can't, it was we really, really some of them uh... were getting really, it was like journalist of the year and there's also like content creator of the year. Mm. I wasn't up for either of them. Um, I know. That was your yeah, mistake, I know. Look, wasn't it? Look, how, shocked you, look creator, how shocked you are, George, at that. <laughs> so yeah. You should have a quiz on all the, all the awards you've lost. <laughs> how about that? Should we do that next week? Yeah, all right then. <laughs> Well, so thanks. For this. Next week, we'll try and get Ned back to life next week, shall we? Yes. Yeah. Get him to release Reviving. a video. Indeed. Yeah. All right then. See you later, everyone. Bye, George. Bye. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers, and if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. 
And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.